Okay, what I'd like to try to, uh, what I'd like to talk about is the fact that the donkey was talking. Uh, I don't know how you feel about it, but in teaching I've always tried to avoid it. I'm, I'm not sure exactly why the donkey had to talk. And having learned uh, various attempts to figure out what was happening, um, it's not clear that the donkey actually talked, at least not according to some mythoship. And the question is, uh, why did the Rebunishov have to complicate the story with a talking donkey? I mean, why couldn't um, the donkey just write a note? Or that note come down from heaven? Or the angel that eventually accosted Bill Um, why couldn't he have just been there straight off? Um, I mean, it's not like Galahabdil, you know, a word that I don't always use, but I mean, it's like Galahabdil that when Moshe Rabbeinu, when Moshe Rabbeinu walked and saw the snare, saw the burning bush, that was a revelation. And later on, he, it was the angel who spoke to him. But to us, we can understand the way the Ramban explains that there's a kind of, a, of an elevation here. You can't just start off talking to an angel. You have to be in a holy place. And you have to have some ideas of holiness. And that was Moshe Rabbeinu at the snare. I mean, he understood that something is going on, right? That the snow was burning but not being consumed. So then when he saw the angel, it, it was, he was prepared for it. I mean, you can't just put in a quarter and get out an angel. There has to be some kind of, this the Ramban explains, that you have to be on a road. You have to be on the road to spiritual superiority. And that's Moshe Rabbeinu at the snow. But you can't, it's hard to say, it's hard to say that Bilam was on the road to spiritual superiority, that means when he spoke to the angel, so as a precursor to speaking to the angel, he spoke to the donkey. I mean, it seems hard, it, it's hard for me to imagine that talking to a donkey would kind of prepare you for talking to an angel. So it's not clear, it's not clear to me why the donkey has such a prominent role in the story. It's not clear to me why the donkey had to talk. And according to some of our shimmers, we will see, it's not even clear. It's not even clear that the donkey spoke at all. At least, the commentators insist that that is a possible interpretation strange as it seems, because the Torah seems quite clearly to say that the mouth of the Aton opened up and that he spoke. So let's look at some of these psukim in the story. Now you know that, that this pasuk caused um, interpretation difficulties. 
Because we all know that Avram Avinu got up early in the morning to go to Akedat Yitzchak because he was going to fulfill the divine command. So uh, what are we going to say about Bilam? Vayakum Bilam Baboker, God told him not to go. And he's going. So Rashi says, Mikancha Sinamikalkelet et Ashura, Shechavashu Vatsmo. And Rashi says that hate, he doesn't say it, but we can, we, we put the two Rashis together. We say hate drives a person to do sometimes good things, and uh, just as love drove Avramavinu to get up early and to saddle his donkey and go with his entourage to Akedat Yitzchak. So in other words, um, in other words, you might say that that it's kind of irrelevant, that, that you can't tell. You, 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 know, you know what I'm trying to say? How do you know that Avram did it out of goodness? Because he was good. How do you know that Bilam did it out of not goodness? Because he was not good. So being, um, being energetic and lively doesn't prove a thing. Right? The motivation could be good, the motivation could be bad. Rashi doesn't say that, but Rashi does say Omar HaKadosh Baruch Hu Rashi Rasha Kva Kidamcha Avraham Avihem Shneemar Vayishkem Avraham Vaboka Vechavoshet Chamoro So that the way Rashi explains it, or the way the Medrash explains it, if you, Bilam, think that you're going to impress God in heaven by getting up early in the morning and getting ready, we're not impressed in heaven because Avraham Avinu did that already. Why aren't they impressed? If I'm Avinu did it, it's not impressive. If I do it, I would think it is impressive. I mean, Avraham Avinu was a great man, so he did uh, great things easily. If I would do something like that, so I would expect uh, to be noticed, minimally. But Rashi has a different take on it. It's as though Rashi's saying, I say, we, we could see through you. We see you through you. With Avraham Avinu, it was a pure act. It was something that he had to do with you. That's a pure. Okay, well, we know that Gulam is a bad guy. So, we don't need Rashi to tell us that. Okay, Bilam is a bad guy. God is angry with Bilam. But uh, let's look at the Rashi. Kiholechu. You see that, that Rashi? Vaichar afelokim kiholechu. Rashi says, Ra'asha davar rabbi ne'amakom v'nitaveh. Melechar. He's really a bad guy. You know, he doesn't, it's not just him, he's sort of, he's lahafis. He realizes that God really doesn't want him to go, he's going to go. That's what, uh, that's what Rashi says. <coughs> And Rashi says an interesting thing. You know, there's this word, right? The word Satan, uh, okay, everybody knows that the Satan in Eov was what we usually call a Satan. Lisatanlo is like a kind of a verb uh, to prevent him from doing what he wanted to do. That's what, that's what the Satan means. But it has um, a negative implication. I mean, anybody who knows the story of Eov 
knows that the satan is a bad. So, if it's a verb, then okay. You know, but if the, wor- the verb has that special content of bad, then it's different. So this is what Rashi says, the satan, lo. Malach she rachamim haya. What do you think of that? How it comes out of the satanlo, I don't know, but right, it's certainly an interesting thought that Rashi leaves us with. <coughs> okay, Pasukav Gimel. Vatera ha'atonet malach Hashem mitzabad erva chabosh lufa biyadom etayta ha'aton miraderech etel v'sadev yav b'lavet ha'aton latotah hadar. So you have the beginning of no of no communication. The 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 aton. Saw, right? Now you know that seeing is a word that applies to prophecy. In fact, prophets see different things in different ways. They can see vayar. They can they can see things. They can be chosim. They can be seers or s e e r, and and uh, it means they have. Like, like they look at something and they see more than most people see. Prophecy itself is often called seeing. They see what God wants them to see, or they know what God wants them to know. That, that's, so here, here, you have, here you have the crux of the story. Here you have the crux of the story of Bilam. Bilam, after all, was hired by Balak because of his power as a prophet. But in this story about the donkey, for some reason, all the prophetic attributes that a person can have are transferred to the, to the donkey. I mean, the donkey becomes the prophet. But that's only in relation to Bilam. The donkey is not really a prophet. It's sort of like the story is telling us, it's almost like a, one of those Shakespearean comic reliefs, you know, where they tell you something about what's going to happen. You know, everybody's dying or dead or crazy. You know Shakespeare? There wasn't like, like no sane people ever appeared in a Shakespearean play. So, so, uh, uh, so that I like, have these comedians come out on the stage and they do whatever they do, but they say, don't worry, only the bad guys are going to die. But the good guys, there'll be like a little child who's left over or there'll be some... Uh, some, uh, the daughter who is sequestered someplace else, everything will go on as it should. That's, so, so it's almost, here we have this dramatic story. Balak goes to Bilam. Bilam says, well, I can't just go, I have to wait. They come back again, they come back again, and then he says, okay. So now we're all nervous, right? Because even though we were here last year in the parasha, but we still, we don't know what's going to happen. What's going to happen is Bilam, who comes armed with prophecy. I mean, however you explain that. And he's going to attack B'nai Israel, and B'nai Israel have been enfeebled 
by the fact that they are complainers and they're bothering Moshe Rabbeinu and they don't have any longer all the protective qualities in those machlokas amongst Sachronim, but most people agree that the Anan HaKavod, Anane HaKavod, after Aaron died, didn't exist anymore. It says they didn't exist anymore, the Jews are not protected. What does not protected mean? It means that there are forces in the world that might affect them. So here we are, here we are, nervous. Like we're reading the story. We're reading the story. And we're nervous about it. I mean, we know the story. We know that it's going to turn out all right, but it's still the dramatic aspect of the story it makes us a little bit nervous. And then along comes this pasuk, Vatera Haton. Don't worry. Don't worry. It's the Aton who is becoming the prophet. He, he, the Aton, compared to Bilam. I mean, so, I mean, this is something that gives us great solace. Right? You know that there's a Cherev. There's another Cherev. Right? That keeps us out of Gan Eden. Right? There's a Cherev. I mean, I mean, the Malach doesn't need that. I think the Barbanel asked that question. What does the Malach need a Cherev for? If the Balach has a Disney, has a, a Disney watch, he just zaps them, right? He don't have to have a cherev. What is it to make a bloody mess out in the middle of, of, of every place? So that the charbo symbolizes, symbolizes that, that Bilam can't go someplace. He can't enter a certain sphere. What can't he enter? Prophecy. In other words, you, you, we're being told. We're being told that there is no deal. That, that Balak is only going to be disappointed and Bilam is going to say things that are totally different that he expects to say. And it's right here. And then Bilam smacks away at this, at this Aton. Now, I'm no, I don't know that much about it, but when I used to go to movies in the good old days, and they have these movies about uh, Italian farmers or Italian farms who were riding on donkeys, Smacking away the donkey is not something unreasonable. Donkeys are not, you know, they're not, they don't have BAs or MAs, you know. And they, they, they need to get smacked around a little bit. But this smacking around, right, this smacking around takes, it's noticed, right, it's noticed. So Rashi explains, as I explained, Rashi came before I did. And Rashi probably influenced what I said. But I said it anyway, and now look at Rashi. But Haton, you see Rashi, Pesach of Gimel, who the donkey saw, but he didn't see a thing. At this moment, at this time in history, in world history, God gave permission to the donkey or the animal, because after all, the donkey has a certain kind of dot. He has a certain kind of ability to analyze. Right? You know, if a, if a big elephant comes smashing down on the donkey, so the donkey says, huh, I'm in trouble. But, I mean, he doesn't speak much, but he, has, he knows that he should run away. I mean, the animals know when they when they should run away. And then the angel had a charbosh lufabia, those who we mentioned Gan Eden, and Rashi says, 
אמר רש"י, הרש"א זה, הניח כלי אומנתו, שכלי זה עניין של אומות העולם בחרב, והוא בא עליהם בפיו, שהוא אומנות שלהם. אף אני אתפוס את שלום, ואבוא עליו באומנתו. וכן היה סופו, ואת בלעם בן מאור חלבו בחרב. So here, there's a Rashi. I mean, this Rashi has like a lot of potential. We can think about it a lot. Because, because uh, uh, after all, uh, Rashi says, Am Yisrael, is, its power is befet. Its power is befet. What does that mean? That the power of Am Yisrael is in its mouth. You know that in Yitziat Mitzrayim, Yitziat Mitzrayim, B'nai Yisrael were introduced to the idea of Amal Peh, that, that there was somehow the, the slavery in Egypt, the physical slavery in Egypt denied them the opportunity to express themselves. And everybody understands, everybody understands that the critical issue is Talmud Torah. That's what Am Yisrael is. Am Yisrael received the Torah. And Am Yisrael was given the directive, not just to do the Torah, but to learn the Torah. Now learning, learning has stages to it that we can recognize. One is a stage called Hirhur. Right? You're sort of thinking about it. You're thinking about something. But you're not thinking about it so seriously. You know, there's a, a, a machloket in the Shulchan Aruch, amongst the Mephoshim of the Shulchan Aruch, whether you can make birkat ha-Torah on Hirhu. Now, what's the machloket? What's wrong with Hirhu? I mean, most people, most people, when they look into a sitter, they never get beyond Hirhu. Right? Hirhu, like, like you're there someplace, you're in the sitter. I mean, you're not exactly dominant. Hirhu... Yehud means it's not fixed in your mind. It's not something that you really trust. When does your own thinking become trustworthy? When does your own thinking become something that you want to pass on to somebody else? That's when you can say it. When you can say it because saying is not rambling. It doesn't go back and forth. So that when you say that the Koach of B'nai Yisrael, that the Koach of B'nai Yisrael was befair, that's certainly connected to the Torah, which they've been learning for 38 years with Moshe Rabbeinu. Along comes Bil'am. This is like Rashi. He's telling us a story within the story within the story. So Rashi says, what about Bil'am? He thought that since the Koach of B'nai Yisrael is befair, he would be able to deny them success by using that very koach against them, the peh. That's nevuah. Nevuah means when the prophet speaks, what you're doing is taking words and raising them to a very high level of importance. In other words, it's ultimately very likely that those words are going to come true. So that, that the, he knew, he knew, Bil'am, that peh beats Cherif. He knew that. It's like one of those games the kids play, you know, this on top of that, on top of that. Which wins? Peh beats Cherif. Because 
because Cherev is the destruction of the world and Torah is the Kiyum of the world I mean that's clear I mean to everybody who's in this Torah business so that Kiyum is going to be a destruction unless it's a very strange unless a very strange situation so along came Bil'am and Bil'am said that the problem is that you guys meaning Melech Moav and Ziknei Midian you guys are thinking in terms of destroying B'nai Yisrael with the Cherev. That you'll never be able to do. Because in heaven, the Peh that speaks the words of Torah always beats the Cherev. So we, I, Bil'am, will lead you to overwhelm them with Peh. We will speak words that will be more powerful than the words that they can speak. Especially now, because they are uh, uh, kind of in, bad, in a bad situation. Along comes the Malach. And the Malach says, the Malach says, well, not only are you no, not really, really a prophet, how did he say that? Because the donkey saw, and he didn't see. But you will ultimately, this is Rashi's story, you will ultimately also be killed by the Cherev. It's as though you say, it's you say, your peh is not going to be good enough to attack the peh of Am Yisrael, but it is going to be good enough to make you the enemy of the guys with the Cherev. And they will therefore, and since your peh is not going to be on that level, they will be able to destroy you. That's what Rashi, that's what Rashi says. It's a little, it's remarkable, I guess. That's the Rashi, Charbon Shnitha Biyado. So then the story goes on, and the story goes on, until Pasuk Kavchet. You see Pasuk Kavchet? Vayivtach Hashem et pi ha'aton v'atome levil'am. Ma asiti l'cha? Ki hikitani zeshalosh regali. Here it is, Pasuk Kaf Chet. A, a, a pretty remarkable, a pretty remarkable Pasuk. But to my mind, even more remarkable is the fact that Rashi has nothing to say about the fact that the donkey started speaking. It's almost as though, I mean, of course it's not like that technically, but in terms of impressionistically, Rashi is saying, don't get involved. Like, don't get involved with that question. It's just a little bit too difficult. So Rashi skips that part of the pasuk, and he refers only to what it says in the end, where the donkey says, Ki kitani galim. So along comes Rashi, and Rashi says in a well-known Rashi, Shaloshri galim, Ramazlo. So that Shalosh Rigalim, right, not only is the Aton talking, but the Aton is talking in a language, that, in the language of Talmud Torah. In, in other words, if the Aton, if the Aton was uh, like it went to Berlitz to learn a little Hebrew, and he said, Shalosh Rigalim, 
So, so nobody would take that too seriously. He said, Shalosh Rizalim. I mean, any, uh, any modern-day Israeli author who is not so well-versed in the Torah could say that. He says, no. He says, Shalosh Rizalim, you have to understand, the Aton is on the side of the Torah. Because how could the, the, the Aton know this? It's about the future. It's about... It's about the celebration of the Shalosh Rigalim in Eretz Yisrael. So it says something about the future. It says something about the Torah. It says something about superior knowledge. I don't even know if Bilam understood the deeper meaning of what they are told, of what they are told said. But of course, you know, Rashi is always interested in telling us the deeper meaning of things that look very obvious and simple. Because for Rashi, the Torah shouldn't be obvious and simple. And therefore, whenever he can, he makes the Torah less obvious, less simple, more, um, more profound, more connections to things that we know about. Because that is, uh, that's a, po- a positive thing and a powerful means of, of dealing with, um, with the Torah. Now, Pasuk Tavstet, Vayom Vilam Laton Kitalaut B, Luyesh Cherev Biyadiki Ataharakti. So now you understand. Understand about the Cherev? You Luyesh Cherev Biyadiki, according to Rashi. So it turns out that Bilam is a kind of a complex personality, even though he's going before, but he's not, he doesn't trust himself to do, to punish the Aton by saying something about it. He's not that good. When it comes to the Aton, he would like use the old-fashioned sword, uh, uh, which which puts him on the other side, on the on the side of the sword, and not on the side of the of the pet. <coughs> and then he says, and then the pasuk says, the pasuk says. Uh, this is a, an annoying pasuk. Well, all of a sudden, here's the, the Aton. The Aton is turning into a poet. Like, he, he reminds us, perhaps, of root, me, I, always with you. I'm, what do you mean? What is, this is how an aton is. The aton, no, the, these donkeys, they don't have so much ne'emanut. Uh, they're not devoted. They're not like those animals who are supposed to be devoted to their masters. I mean, donkeys are not like that. And so Chazal found this to be a curious pasuk. Uh, curious, not, not curious that the words are curious. You know that word, the words at the end, Iskanti, which Chazal explained in a different way. So if you turn the page, let's turn the page. Let us turn the page. There. You see that? Okay, I'll try to, I'll read the words and I'll try to translate. When they saw him, Bil'am, riding on his chamor, Amrulay. 
they said to him. I mean, we're talking, it really could be a conversation between the Aton and Bil'am. My Tama, Laura Hafta Asusia. How come you didn't go and take your horse? I guess on the assumption that it's so fancier. Like, why take the Ford if you can take the Cadillac? Well, that's kind of what they're saying. Now, I don't know in history whether there were horses in Eretz Israel at that time, or there weren't horses, there were donkeys, there weren't donkeys. This is a very interesting question for people who are interested in it. I'm not interested in that question. If somebody knew the answer, I'd be happy to listen, but I don't know if there were horses. In the time of the Gemara, there were horses. In the time of uh, Bilam, I don't know, in the desert, I mean, I don't know what there was. You know, the Egyptians apparently had horses, right? How come you didn't, how come you didn't take your horse? I sent him out to pasture, the horse, right? I sent him out, you know, I decided to leave him be. Miyad. So the Aton said, what's wrong with me? I'll do the job, you know. He says, no, I, I only use you for, uh, you know, carrying packages. No, I use you for that. This is the Pasuk. So the Aton says, what do you mean? You ride on me all the time. I cry ba'alma. It's true I ride on you, but I, not in a fixed pattern. A cry. A cry means just from time to time. When, you know, when the horses are out in pasture or something. No. You're riding me from the beginning of your existence until today. Well, old. But, but more than that, I want you to know that I let you ride on me during the day and that we have sex at night. Here, the person uses that word, which is hard for us to understand. But the Chachonim say, Tivatam, in the beginning of Melachim, you know, when David HaMelech was old and, uh, and cold, they found him a Sochenet, a young girl who slept with him. So, that's how they know. That's how they know. So, according to Chazal, according to Chazal, there's like a, a, a story, another story within the story. The story of who's right and who's wrong. When the when the atone when the atone says to to uh, Bilam, how come you keep beating up on me? It doesn't mean you're not kind to animals. It means you're not kind to me. After all, look what I've done for you. Look how much pleasure I've given you. Look how much, how attractive I've been for you. So that Chazal 
waste no effort in demeaning the personality of, of Bil'am. Not only was he interested in, uh, in cursing the Jews for payment, but he himself lived a desultory life. It was not, uh, you could not find any reason to be, uh, to find him a cheery kind of personality. Okay, I want to look at the Ibn Ezra. We'll skip the Ibn Ezra in the introduction to take us a little bit out, but let's see the Ibn Ezra of our Parsha. The Ibn Ezra in our Parsha, we don't look at the Ibn Ezra that often, but we should. Amr Chazal. The Ibn Ezra quotes a Mishnah in Pirkei Avot in the fifth parent. Shasarat Vahim Nivru Be'er Shabbat Ben Ashbashot. And one of them, one of the things that was created Erev Shabbat Ben Ashmashot in Burke Avot, Pi Hato. Pi Hato. Now what does that mean theologically? Theologically that means this. If we assume that God created the world and that was God's thinking about things, it's unreasonable to say that God would arbitrarily change nature. So that Chazal thought that instead of saying that God, cre- that God changed nature, it was easier to say that this was somehow built in to a program in the world which said that when Bilam does what Bilam does, the atone is going to start talking. But when was this power put into the atone? It was put into the atone when God created the world. It wasn't that God said, up to now, the atone, no, don't talk. From now on, I'm going to change that. I'll make one atone that talks. It wasn't that way. When God created the world, the God created the world, God said there will be an atone that speaks. And where will that be? In the time of in the time of Bilam, so that somehow this fixes the question of can God undo what God has determined? Like on the one hand, we all say, well, of course God could do anything. On the other hand, on the other hand, uh, you would think that if God made the animals one way and man another way, that that distinction would remain for all time. It would never change. Who do you think? Any event, the Ibn Ezra quotes that Mishnah in Pirkei Avot. Enash Mashot. The Rambam always says, the Rambam always points out that Kriyat Yam Suf was also part of the things that God created during the six days of creation. And so that even Kriyat Yamsuf is not exactly a deviation, but it's kind of built in. It's like, it's like an eclipse of the moon. Like, like, like you know, um, an eclipse. There were times when people thought that eclipses were variations of Teva. It was a change in nature. And then they had to explain that somehow. Because their view of history was like 50 years or a hundred years. 
But he couldn't tell somebody this could happen every 400 years or 500 years, right? So then they printed the almanac, and that's fine. You know, you look in the almanac, there's going to be an eclipse next week. So it's not even, it's not even interesting. You know, it's going to happen. The fact that it doesn't happen often doesn't bother us. But it did bother people hundreds of years ago. They had no way of making that assessment. So this has something to do with the way you look at the creation of the world. Does the creation of the world mean that's it forever, it's never going to change, and miracles have to be explained within that notion, right? But here you have a primary case of changing nature. Animals were created, as you all know, such that they cannot speak, and it doesn't matter how many syllables the Dalphinim are able to put together, they still end up not able to speak, because speaking means something else. Dolphinim may be very intelligent, but no dolphin has ever written a book. So that's, uh, that's that. So, so listen to what he says. Why do you think God decided to make the, the Hamor talk? Because it's not part of it. Everybody knows that donkeys can't talk. The Yomer HaGaon. The Gaon is always Rav Sadiagon. Rav Sadiagon, who was a very important personality uh, for Spanish Jewry. Rapsadjigon lived in the 9th and 10th centuries, like before the Rambam, but at that time. So he says, What do you mean, Lo Rapsadjigon is a, uh, is a forthright kind of person. What do you mean, you know, it says in the, in the Chumash that Dibra. How could he say Lodibra? But that's what the Ibn Ezra tells us. Rashmur Bachofni was a Gaon. He was the uh, father-in-law of Rav Haigal, who is like, more famous. But Rashmur Bachofni is also well-known. Rashmur Bachofni Tfaso. Rashmur Bachofni disagreed with him, argued with him. Rabbi Shmuel Asfaradi Baal Hashirim. Isn't that, I don't know if it's Shmuel, Shmuel or Shlomo, Shlomo Ibn Gabiro is who he's quoting. Baal Hashirim. Baal Hashirim. Shmuel Ibn Gabiro thought that he was more than just Baal Hashirim, but here he's quoted as being the composer of wonderful poetry. Baal Hashirim Chashav Latzil Hanitfas. So you see how it goes? Rav Sajidon said, the donkey didn't speak. Rav Shmuel Bechofni said, what are you talking about? It's in the Pasuk. Rav, uh, Rav Shmuel Gabiro now wanted to save the mitfas. Uh, one second. The da. The Ibnazi goes on. Says reasonable people 
have had to explain the words of the Torah in a way that the words don't seem to apply. The words seem to apply that the donkey spoke. But if reasonable people say, I'm going to donkey speak, donkeys don't speak, meaning that, that, that sort of God has imposed a limit upon God. And that limit upon God is that God creates the world a certain way, the world's going to stay that way. The world's not going to change. So if the animals were created unable to speak, then it doesn't make sense to say that God would allow the animal to speak. Why should that happen? So he says, uh, I'm on the fourth line, the second word. So this is how he explains, he says, it doesn't make sense to say that God will produce a miracle in the world that goes contrary to the creation, unless that miracle is one exclusion. Like Moshe Rabbeinu came, Moshe Rabbeinu came to power and he threw the staff down and became a snake. This is okay. That's because it was Moshe Rabbeinu the prophet speaking. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is willing to change the Teva in order to justify the prophet. And they are not telling the truth. They, these rational people. They went into the cage of the lions and the lions said, we don't want this, these guys for supper. Give us steak. Right? And they weren't prophets. The Ebenezer says. And yet God produced this miracle for their benefit. He says, well, you could probably say that Bilam was a kind of a prophet or a kind of a Kosein. And according to the principle which I've just enunciated, which is that God will do a miracle in order to protect the prophet, maybe this was a miracle that was done in order to protect the prophecy of Bilam. You know, Bilam was a bad guy, but his prophecy was true prophecy. I'm sorry. Okay. There are those who say that Bilam was sort of a prophet. He was able somehow to intuit what the will of heaven was, and so all the things that he said were prophecy. That's why Balak said, I know that whoever you curse is cursed. So says the Ibn Ezra, in the way of the Ibn Ezra, presenting several possibilities. Either it doesn't make sense to say that God did it, or it does make sense because after all, Bilaam was a kind of a prophet, and there are miracles that protect prophecy. All of that is an introduction. I'm sorry. You see, with the Rishonim right to they mean everything else is canceled. That's what Anachon means. It doesn't mean, it doesn't mean like we say, oh, you... That I like what you said, but I'll say this. No, they didn't mean that. They meant, I don't like what you said, and it's wrong, 
and this is what is right. Right? This is what is right. They weren't like, uh, they, weren't, they weren't all flower children. They were like, you know, regular. Right, there's a certain kind of knowledge that Rabban agreed. The Rambam did not like it so much. But Mazalot, Mazalot, what we call constellations. And that, that constellations provide information about the reality. Because you know, look, in the ancient world, you have to remember, there were many clear nights and no television. So that was it. That determined what they thought about. So they looked up at heaven, and they were able to see constellations. That was the first interesting thing. Most people, when you look up at the heaven, you just see a bunch of burnt-out light bulbs. But they saw constellations. They saw pictures in heaven. They're not always, but once you get going and doing this, you know, you keep doing it. And some of them are pretty clear. But others are not so clear. They saw these constellations. They also realized that the constellations, from the point of view of the people standing on earth, move around in heaven. And therefore, they're not positioned always in the same way towards each other. And they thought that this was very meaningful, and they developed a, a Torah of Mazalot. As you looked up in heaven, or you understood something about the time of the year, etc., and then you had something to say about what's going to be, what's going to happen. Right? This goes on till today, amazingly enough. Uh, amazingly enough. I don't want to get into a fight here. But I find that all these things very amazing. So when the mazal indicated that there was some bad person in the world who was going to get it from heaven. So Bilam took advantage and he cursed that guy. Even though his curse might have meant a thing. But he knew that that guy was going to get it from heaven and therefore to enhance his own uh, uh, esteem in the eyes of the people who are looking for cursors, that's what he did. He cursed them. That's what Bilam means when he says, I can't do anything against God, means... But I can do something when God does something. I and mean, if God wants to punish them, then I'm right there. That the derivative can't affect the origin or the source. Like God created me, I can't affect uh, the way God acts. Even as it says I can't explain how this works. So according to the Ibn Ezra, according to the Ibn Ezra, he's trying to walk this tightrope between was he a prophet? Wasn't he a prophet? Did he know what was going on? Did he not know what was going on? How could he take a stand against against God with the sword even though he knew from the Atone that this was actually going to happen? So the Ibn Ezra's answer is yes, I mean he knew all of that. 
But he felt that he had a trick up his sleeve. And the point was that if God would be interested in punishing Am Yisrael, he would come in and say, God is going to punish Am Yisrael, something like that. But as far as the Pihaton is concerned, we see he's introduced us to this idea that Sadi Gaon says, Kilo Bibra Haaton. So if Lo Bibra Haaton, so what did the Aton do? What's the story? What's the story in the Chumash? If they, if, I mean, the Sadi Gaon knew the Chumash. So what, what is the story in the Chumash if the Aton didn't read? So there's an interesting comment of Shadal. You see at the bottom of the page? Shadal lived in the 19th century in Padua. Padua was the one really modern orthodox place in the universe. Not Tinek, Padua. In Padua there was a university. And everybody went to the university, everybody talked to people the university, everybody mingled and co-mingled and had, uh, knew about each other. And that was the, the strength of the community in Padua. Who else came from Padua? No, that's a name because he was, his family was once in Padua. You can't get that name until you leave Padua. Okay, that's, you know, all kinds of odd things happen. But who was in Padua? The Ramchal, the Messiah Tisharim. He was from, he was from Padua. So listen to what the Shadal says. The Shadal wrote a commentary. He was an interesting person. I can't tell you about him now. Because everybody would say, I'm not an Orthodox. That... Uh, so I can't tell you about the Shaddao, but it's worth looking up. He's very interesting. He's a very interesting person. Do listen to what he says. What? Okay. Oh, that, that's a good one. I mean, so who is the ventriloquist and who is the ventriloquisting? But the Aton? He was talking for the Aton? Well, it's the same as a lower level. It's not a Navi. Not something that has real knowledge of God's intention. Well, he can't do anything. He just can just figure out what's going to happen. He can't affect what's going to happen. He can't give brachot of Tualot. That's a concern. So look at the Shaddal. The Shaddal says, I told the bra oh no, I don't know. Did the Aton speak? Lo yivatzer me'akela soche tidaber, the Shosh Shadal says. Of course, if God wants the Aton to talk, the Aton is to talk. Avalo yashar, shelo yechrad bil'am, ushnei me'arav, charada gedola admavit. You see the Shadal? Do you understand what he's saying? He's saying, he's saying, I don't believe that the Aton spoke. Because if the donkey would have spoken, then all the people there would have freaked out, including Bil'am. I mean, you know, Bil'am didn't expect the Aton to talk. And therefore, he says, even though it's no problem to say that God would make the Aton speak, I, the Shadal, don't believe that the Aton spoke. Lo he would have just fainted on the spot. He said, it's not talking to an Atot. If Atot walks into the room, it's not talking to us. I think we'd just be incredulous. 
He wouldn't like say, uh, yeah, you know, what's your two dots say what number or something. Uh, or like, what's your mother's name? Like uh, standard Israeli questions. The lawyer says, he had to tell her she was about Cain. He says, maybe the Atom didn't speak Hebrew. Didn't speak Hebrew. Ain't that you've got the verb, the Kedaber is not found in this story. But what happened with the with the Chamor? Uh, the Chamor is getting whacked. So the Chamor cried out in Chamor lingo, right? Everybody understood. This is not, the Chamor never said that, but everybody understood that that was what the Chamor was crying out. And then the Chamor screamed again and said, It's like saying, what are you doing? Like, like uh, you know, everybody has this experience with, uh, with household animals. He says, Then Bilam suddenly felt mercy for this Chamor and said, Lo, it's true that this Be'ema does not usually make trouble for me. And this is true, that God truly opened the mouth of the Aton. should be both in Mishunem because the Aton was making sounds that were not regular. So that's by Yiftachat Pi Ha'aton, the mouth of the Aton open, but not to speak, just made new kinds of noises that, that Bilam understand. This was not like a really big miracle. Achi Bahel Bilam, in order that Bilam should become frightened. Rinea Hashem Svatai Tiftach, Ein Inyano Dibur Chutz Min HaTeva. So he did not speak. But he spoke in the Teva. The opposite position was taken by the Abarbanel. By the Abarbanel in the 16th century is not on the sheet, but referred to this passage in Bereshit. You look at page 3. Right, so there are two animals in the Tanakh, in the Torah, that talk. Right, there's the Aton, and there's the Nachash. And the Abarbanel says, oh, you see what it says? You see what it says about the Nachash? It says, Laisha, like perfectly normal. It doesn't say that God opened up the mouth of the Nachash, as it says by the Aton. Therefore, we have to say that by the Aton, it was a miracle. I'm talking about the Abarbanel, right? I'm leaving the Shaddaf. Right? The Abarbanel says, the Abarbanel says that in, in with the Chamor, the Pesuk says, Tachashem is Piyachamor, that God did something special. Therefore, the Chamor really spoke, and it was really a miracle, the Abarbanel. The Nachash, on the other hand, the Nachash, on the other hand, just started talking to the Isha. They didn't say that, that God did a miracle to enable the Nachash to speak. So the Abarbanel says, well, that means that the Nachash there was no miracle. But the Atom, there was a miracle. 
So according to the Vabinel, you have to say that the punishment, right, the, the punishment, God's punishment to the Nachash was to change its nature. True? In other words, the Nachash was created walking upright, and it ended up crawling, and eating dirt, and everybody was afraid of the Nachash, so it may be the Abbadinah said that the original Nachash that was created in the world could speak. And part of the punishment of the Nachash was that it couldn't speak. So you have the Abbadinah taking a position that's diametrically opposite of the Shadal. Shadal says, Shadal says, he doesn't, Shadal's proof that God did not enable the Atom to speak was that when they heard the Atom speaking, they did not come to a panic. They didn't go crazy, what's going on? But they took it in stride. And therefore the Shadal says that what really happened was that the, that the donkey was able to produce sounds that were more emotive than the sounds he usually produced, and they were understood by the rider and the people around him as being the complaints that anybody would make, being beaten for no particular, no particular reason. Uh, the Abarbanel says, the Abarbanel says, look, it says, you can't fight about that. And uh, therefore, it must, be, it must be a miracle. It must be a miracle. The Abarbanel says, with the Nachash, we have to say that God created the Nachash as a speaking being. And the punishment of the Nachash was to take away that speech. Whereas the Hamor lived in the world post Gan where there's a clear demarcation between animals and, uh, animals and humans. Humans are speaking animals, and, most, and animals really cannot, really cannot speak. So I don't know if I've answered the questions that I've started out with, but I hope we've clarified a little bit. The Rambam really doesn't relate to it. There is a place in the Maranavuchim where the Rambam mentions Bilam and his ass, but he doesn't expound on it at all. Not at all. Yeah. I don't like it when people ask me questions that start, does anyone say? Because, because I can, if I say yes, so then that's an answer. But if I say no, then I, who knows? I mean, maybe there's somebody. I don't know. I mean, I imagine. I imagine. It's, again, it's a thought. It's a thought. But it's inter- interesting that this very complex story, I think, has these points that are difficult for us. They're difficult for us to, to assess. Have a good job of